Turn to Luke 9. We'll begin working our way through that chapter. Uh, A strange chapter for Luke. Uh, A number of short paragraphs with seemingly unrelated topics. As I was working through it, made me think about uh, driving to Orlando. I don't know if you've ever driven to Orlando from here. It's a very deceptive drive for me, at least the first time. Because you get to Florida and you say, we're here. And that is the longest stretch from from Pensacola to Orlando because... I thought we were in I thought we were almost there. Well, this is a long passage, uh, a, a string of paragraphs here that uh, we're going to in these next five five more weeks that we'll work through chapter nine instead of the longer passages we've been doing, we're going to do shorter passages and as you see we'll, uh, this morning we've already looked at some side references some Uh, cross-references to it. Um, I did find some uh, structure, some themes in it. Uh, We'll see the the idea, just the explicit idea of disciples of Jesus and their training. Uh, I think 11 times the disciples are mentioned in these 50 verses. I'm going to stop at verse 50, uh, and next time, next quarter when I preach again, we'll begin at verse 51, because Jesus then sets his face towards Jerusalem, sort of a beginning of the final journey towards Jerusalem for the rest of uh, the book. But the theme seems to be in chapter 9 here, those first 50 verses, the training of the disciples. What's What's it going to be like? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I did notice in these first handful of paragraphs, though, an alternating uh, idea of, if you look at, I'm, I'm, I'm picking titles of the paragraphs from the ESV. And so it's going to be a back and forth between what to expect as disciples, what the disciples are being trained to do, and then answering the question, who is Jesus? And so you see in verse, in that first paragraph, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. So they have their commission, and Jesus sends them out to take the gospel of the kingdom. He gives them power and might, we'll see. Uh, and then the next uh, paragraph, where Herod is, prepared, is perplexed by Jesus, notice in verse 9, who is this about whom I hear these things, such things. So here's the question, who is this? So Herod asks the question, who is Jesus? Uh, Then the next section, uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000, but in the middle of that passage, he says to the disciples, you feed these people. Okay, so the disciples are given more commission, more work, more uh, uh, ministry to be uh, to accomplish, and then in the fourth paragraph, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, 
Not as Herod asked the question, but Jesus asked the question. Who do they say I am out there? And who do you say I am? Another who is Jesus question comes from Jesus himself. Uh, Then in uh, beginning in verse 23, take up your cross and follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple again? more commissioning or more training of the disciples. And then, of course, in the transfiguration, another not so much question but a declaration from God, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So you have that back and forth of discipleship, question about who is Jesus. Discipleship, who is Jesus. Discipleship, who is Jesus. That's what will be the next three weeks. And then we'll go uh, from there. So there's a pattern there. God, Jesus, as we find, is God's chosen one. He's his beloved son. He's Israel's Messiah. He's the Christ. He is our Savior. Uh, if we were to go and look at Matthew 16, where Peter uh, confesses Jesus uh, in the longer passage, then what Luke gives us, he would be the Holy One, the Son of the living God. So there's some identification of who Jesus is in these passages. What made me think about that, or, or as I saw that and, and uh, realized it, it made me think about who it is that uh, Corey and I and whoever else stands up preach to week after week after week. You know, we've, uh, I've always kind of talked about uh, some of us are saved, some are saved and know they're saved, some are saved and not sure they're saved, some think they're saved and they're not saved, and others are not saved and they know they're not saved, and you kind of had that kind of an audience. Well, I was thinking through this, who is Jesus question, and uh, look at, looked at it or thought about it in a little bit different way. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And you're, uh, you're saying in your mind and uh, heart, um, I hear a lot of talk about Jesus, but uh, you don't always explain him well. I can understand that. Uh, it's over the long haul that we do our best to give the whole counsel of God concerning all things out of his word. Maybe you're a young Christian, just beginning to learn about uh, your Savior, Jesus, uh, trying to discern maybe all the truth about who He is and what He's done. So we'll learn, you can learn from Herod, you can learn from Jesus, you can learn from our Heavenly Father as these declarations and these questions are looked at and answered, uh, who is Jesus. Maybe you're new to PBC. You've been a Christian for a while, but you've, uh, you've, for whatever circumstance, whatever reason, you're here. You've heard that we're different from other churches that maybe you've been to. to how do we here at Providence understand Jesus? Is it different than what maybe you're saying? Is this going to be different from what I was taught? Or am I going to learn things I was never taught? Maybe that's who you are. 
Um, or maybe you've just been around PBC for different amounts of time, some longer, some uh, shorter. You understand who Jesus is. You understand pretty well what he's done. And you'd like to ask me, Corey, any of the elders, is what I believe jive with what you guys believe. You're asking me. It's what you believe. It's what I believe. What you as a pastor believe. Is it what we profess as a church to believe? Going through the Gospel of Luke, we've been following Jesus for a while. And so hopefully in these next few weeks, we'll get a clearer picture. Hopefully every week you get a clearer picture of who the Lord Jesus is, who you are, and how much you need Him. Let's read these first nine verses in uh, chapter 9. We'll cover these in two parts as, as they're clearly broken in the... Uh, in probably in your Bible, into two paragraphs. Verse 1, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. He kept on seeking. He sought more than one time to see the Lord Jesus. So uh, the Twelver Commission, their first journey out on their own since they've been called together. Jesus brings them together. He gives them power. Verse 1, he, he uh, gave them power and authority over demons and diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Uh, since uh, the sermon in, uh, in Nazareth, that first sermon in the synagogue there in Nazareth, Jesus has been clear about his mission. Uh, after uh, preaching that sermon, they, they didn't like his sermon there in, in the synagogue. Uh, the people had gathered in the evening. He healed many of them. And then the next morning, he goes out into a desolate place. And while he's out in the desolate place early in the morning, the people are gathering with their sick friends and their uh, uh, afflicted people. 
And so Jesus' friends come out and uh, tell him, they're waiting for you here. We have a lot of people to take care of. You know, we need to continue the work here. And here's what Jesus says. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus says, no, my main mission is not to come to heal and to cast out demons. My main mission is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God to many different towns. Then in chapter 5, he calls the 12. He begins to call the 12 together, the miraculous catch of fish, and he tells them, look, you're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. You're going to be fishing and catching men and women for the kingdom of God. And here in chapter 9 now, he is sending them out uh, uh, to spread the gospel of Christ and the gospel of his kingdom. And just stopping and thinking about that, we live in a world that sorely needs the gospel, don't we? They need the good news proclaimed to them. Many around us are filled with spiritual thoughts, but they also have heartaches and disappointments. Concerns about the future. And it's into that kind of a fallen world that the Lord send his, sends His followers. He sends these 12 into that world, and He sends us, His people, by the Great Commission, into the world. Not primarily to heal, not primarily to the touchstone, if you will, of our society, education. You know, if uh, uh, all the problems in our homes and in our streets, uh, and the violence, all the sadness, if we just get people to another class, if we could just get them into another program, they'll be transformed. Uh, Uh, but they're not being transformed, at least not lastingly. You know, education is not important. Education is very important. But it's not uh, uh, not, uh, the be-all. It's not the cure-all. You know, Christians have been at the forefront of education for all of church history. Uh, We've... Uh, Christians have led education, they've led research, hospitals, uh, food banks, you know, the best universities. And when I say best, I put air quotes here, best, the initial universities in New England, all of the Ivy League schools, you know, I guess, that every one of them were established as Christian universities where theology was the king of all the, the queen of all the sciences that tied every uh, discipline within the university together. And yet, they all departed. Every one of them has departed from their initial charters, entered uh, uh, the human concepts, and now we're living with the results, not only on the campuses, uh, but in homes and streets and the marketplace, and even in the church. Uh, 
So the great need is not diplomas and rehab centers and correctional facilities. If that were it, we'd have every ill cured for the amount of money we've spent and the amount of uh, energy we put into these things. They're not. They're not being transformed. So Jesus sends his disciples out to deliver the good news of the kingdom of God, and he does it. He gives them power and authority over demons and diseases, but primarily in conjunction with their preaching of the gospel, the message of the kingdom. God is king, and he is ruling over all, and he's establishing his kingdom day by day. In the lives of men and women, and at the end of this age, he'll destroy all opposition. He'll bring his kingdom to its fullness and its power and glory. So God is the king is the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And in that message is calling people to repentance, to avoid that judgment that will come at the end of the age. Whereas, wherein every knee will bow and call Jesus Christ Lord, some to the glory, uh, eternal glory of heaven, and others to the eternal destruction. Forever banished from the presence of God. And at the same time, they were preaching the gospel. They were healing the sick and they were delivering the possessed. We're not called to heal today, but we are called to do what Jesus told us to do. I think one of the uh, important things of understanding how to study your Bible. Corey has hermeneutics classes in the Bible Institute. It's understanding how to study, interpret, and apply the Bible. And when you read the Gospels and you read the book of Acts, here's a couple of general principles. Everything described is not prescribed. Right? Right? Everything that is described, everything that the apostles do, we are not called to do. Um, Scripture tells us clearly that the apostles are the foundation of the church. The foundation has been laid. Jesus is the cornerstone, and now the walls are being built one living stone at a time. The life in the church that the Lord gave to the apostles doesn't still exist today just as it did then. Second thought is Christ does still heal and we should call upon him to reach out his hand and heal diseases and afflictions and broken lives. But we have to acknowledge this is a different day from the day of the apostles. Not a different Christ, not a different gospel message, 
But the principles for us today are that we're called to do what Jesus said to do. We deal with the physical and spiritual needs of the lives of other people. We take the gospel to them, but we do what we can do to help alleviate their issues. James says that pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this. Visit the orphans, visit the widows in their affliction. Keep yourself unstained or unspotted from the world. The author of Hebrews, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So Jesus commissions the 12. He gives them power. He gives them might over disease and over the demons. And he calls them to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And they go out. And he gives them some instructions as they go. Verse 3, travel light. Um, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Uh, don't even take an extra shirt with you. Um, uh, modern English version, no backpack, no laptop, uh, no calendar. Leave your calendar at home. Um, uh, don't take a lunch with you today. It'll be provided somehow. Don't worry about that. No undershirt. Just take it, just the shirt on your back. That's all you need to go. And, and go is what he's saying here. And then others will add to that. We take the Bible literally. You don't need any health insurance. You don't need any life insurance. You don't need, uh, you don't need a savings account. Where's your faith? We believe the Bible literally, right? Well... Uh, I just wrote no. It's an improper way to understand the Bible. That is called literalistic understanding of the Bible and not a literal understanding of the Bible. We need to understand what's being said right here to this situation and how does it apply to us today. That's one of the Struggles. That's, one of, that's why we have to work sometimes to understand the Scriptures. Jesus says to us, travel light in this world, right? Don't set your roots down. Keep your roots shallow if you're going to set any roots at all in this world. Travel light. Um, verse 3 is really direct instructions for the 12, actually, that he doesn't give later on. If you want to, you can turn there or you can just listen to me read a few verses of Luke 22. Um, In Luke 22, we'll get there one day. In Luke 22, uh, they have just spent the evening together, the last evening together that they spend before Jesus is arrested. Now, This is the same apostles, the same disciples, the same 12, but it's a different time. It's it's hard to get from Luke's uh, timetable, but it's over a year later from what we're in chapter 9. Beginning in verse 35, 
He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. Verse 36, he said to them, now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. He was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Earlier, the apostles were told to travel light. They received God's extraordinary provision through the hospitality of those to whom they took the gospel of the kingdom. Later on here, as Jesus is about to be uh, crucified, as he's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father after the resurrection, Jesus says, you need to prepare yourself. You need to be prepared. Take, get, some, get your money, get your knapsack, get your laptop, and be prepared because it's going to be, your journey is going to be the same journey as you're about to see me go through. So in the age that we live, in the gospel expansion after the death and resurrection and ascension, in the passing of all the apostles, we're, we don't live so much expecting a miraculous provision, and yet God providentially provides for us. We live in the new covenant kingdom. We should expect ordinary provision and plan and prepare accordingly. In Luke 2.22, Jesus, uh, like I said, has spent the last evening with his disciples. I'm about to be gone. You need to be prepared. You're going to see me suffer, and don't expect anything better as you take the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. He gave specific instruction for a specific time to a particular group of people who are the foundation of the church. He gave them might. He gave them authority for this time. It's an urgent time. It's a a time to forego your normal preparation for travel, he says. Trust God with all of your life. He tells us to trust God with all of our lives, but keep our powder dry. Be ready. Be prepared. Verse 4, he says, accept their, accept their hospitality for the disciples. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. When you enter a house, someone welcomes you. Stay there until you finish the task, until the job is done. Then verse 5, if they don't receive you, just stand on the edge of the city, take your sandals off, shake the dust off of them as a sign for them You know, the custom would be that the dirt of the Gentile lands would make make the Jews unclean. So they would get rid of all the dirt after they've been in Gentile territory. Well, they're in Jewish territory, but there's a stand on the city and shake the dust off in a sign that these folks who have not welcomed you with who come with the gospel, they're not any better off than the Gentiles are. And he says, go your way to the next village. So he gives them instructions. And verse 6 kind of closes there. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel 
and healing everywhere. So for us, the principle of the age is go and tell. That's the Great Commission. Continue to minister God's works of mercy, trusting Him to meet people in their physical needs, to do what we cannot do, the poor, the orphan, the hospital, hospitalized, and the prisoners, but ultimately we have to deliver the gospel and keep ourselves unstained, unspotted from the world if we want to have any lasting effect. That's what he's commissioned us to do. So hopefully, hopefully you get a picture of the call of a disciple, somewhat. We'll keep going on that as we go through Luke. Then verse 7 through 9, we have this Herod. Now Herod, verse 7, the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he's perplexed. You've got to ask which Herod. Who, who, you know, there's a number of Herods in our Bible. Uh, there's the Herod who the wise men came to, right, and said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews, which perplexed that Herod so much so that he... Uh, found out where the king of the Jews was going to be born, the Messiah would be born, and he killed all babies two years and under in Bethlehem. That's not this Herod. That's his dad. So he's been brought up in a brutal home. Uh, This is his son. This is the one who had beheaded John the Baptist, as Dennis read for us. He's at a loss. Verse 7, he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. He heard all that was happening, not only what Jesus was doing, but now what the apostles were doing, what his followers were accomplishing. His conscience is now doing a job, the job that God gave it to him to do, and that is to arrest him to arrest his mind, to awaken the guilt. As Dennis read, he'd arrested John the Baptist for preaching too forcefully. And as we kind of jokingly say sometimes, he wasn't just preaching, he was meddling as he spoke to Herod about his illicit uh, sexual relationship with his brother's wife his adulterous affair with her. Herod didn't want to talk about that. He didn't want to hear about that. He wanted to kill John for that, but he knew he'd best not because the people considered him to be, John the Baptist, to be a prophet. And then on his birthday, he gets trapped by the little girl, by the lady. She dances before him. He's struck. And so he promises her anything she wants. And so she goes to mom. And we, uh, it, it, it's hard to know now, is this Uncle Herod or is this stepdad Herod? We don't know. We're not really told much there. But he said we can have anything we want. What do we want? Uh, She remembers, Herodias remembers what John said about her and Herod. So she says, uh, ask him for John's head. 
I mean, think about this at a birthday party. Now, it wouldn't be like a birthday party for you or me. But think about this. The girl asks mom. Mom asks Herod. Herod tells the executioner. The executioner goes down, beheads John, brings a head on a platter into the birthday party, gives it to the girl. The girl gives it to mom. There you go. I mean, just a... I don't know. I wrote a number of things with, I did my thesaurus, you know, uh, vile, yes, ghastly, yes, dreadful. I mean, quite a, quite a situation. Well, that had happened, and now word is John, back in the street, the John's back. Um, Maybe it's Elijah. You know, Malachi, 400 years before, Malachi had said Elijah would come back. They, uh, some of the talk was Elijah, maybe, or another prophet. And so Herod says, John I beheaded, verse 9, but who is this about whom I hear such things? That may be the question you're asking. Who is this Jesus? What is, what, what is going on? Um, you know, just thinking about the gospel of the kingdom and being the only solution for transformed lives. Maybe you've not quite come to a certainty about Jesus that you really do need Him. He is the one and the only one who can make a difference lastingly in your life. You know, I assume... Some of you are interested because you keep coming back. You've met some good people. You know, uh, you like to listen, to talk about Jesus, to hear about Jesus. Songs are okay, sometimes they're a little slow. Sometimes they're old, the words are kind of hard to understand sometimes. Preaching's too long. Good preaching, but it's a little long. You know, maybe that's some of your thoughts, but you keep coming back. And I would say this, some people are content just to hear about Jesus, to discuss Him, but not really interested in following Him. Uh... There's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and trusting Him as Lord. Look, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or coerce anybody. Uh, maybe like Harold, you're Herod, you're puzzled, trying to put it all together. I hope that's so because, well, I hope it's so, and so I would say keep listening. Uh Hopefully some of the muddy waters will clear up. What I do hope is you're not rejecting what you hear. 
you're just trying to understand as you put off yielding your life to Christ. Hopefully one day you'll see Christ in all of his glory. And when you see Christ in all of his glory, you will see yourself in desperate, desperate need for him. And so I would say plead with God to help you believe with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Don't usually belabor this quite so much, but there's a great danger in hearing and not responding. Uh, I'm going to go to Luke 23 now. Jesus has been arrested. It was after that Luke 22. Jesus has been arrested in Luke 23. And uh, he's been before Pilate. And you know Pilate's verdict. I find no fault in him. But Pilate has the people screaming at him. He loves his job. It's a good, secure job. He's got to keep the mob in control. But he knows there's nothing that Jesus has done. Then Pilate hears Herod's in town. He's the Tetrarch in Galilee up north, right? Not in Jerusalem, up north. He's the Tetrarch... uh, He finds out Jesus is from Galilee. Oh, great. So he passes him off to Herod. And so Jesus is is before Herod. Chapter 23, verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. Remember, he'd been seeking to see him. He had sought to see him more than once. Mark, uh, in Mark's... uh, 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 Gospel, he says that he listened to, he was afraid of John, he was a holy man, Herod knew he wasn't, he was afraid, but he listened to him gladly. Here, he was very glad to see Jesus, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So finally, maybe with, I hear about his miracles, maybe he'll do a miracle for me. And then all this while, it's been at least a year, all this while he's been compiling his list of questions for Jesus. And so, verse 9, so he questioned him at some length. So he goes down his list. You have some questions for Jesus? I do. Uh, They may get answered. They may not. Why do I belabor this? The last part of verse 9. But he made him no answer. Um, does that, is that kind of frightening to anybody? Herod has sought to see Jesus. He's put it off. He's never gotten around to it. Now Jesus is there face to face with him. He's glad. He's excited to be 
Maybe he'll get a miracle, maybe not, but maybe he'll answer my questions. We have a heart, we don't really know where his heart is. Maybe that's you, if, if Jesus would just show me a sign, show me a little bit more. He's not quite convinced me yet. He just, it, will he give me a little bit more? Well, um, here's the heart of Herod revealed, Herod revealed in verse 10. The chief priests and scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arrayed him in splendid clothing and sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies, now have this common enemy, and so they become friends over this. Well, here's the, why I've labored with this. How could Herod go from so very glad to see Jesus to hateful and hurtful in one conversation? It's because his heart has been hardened. He's heard about Jesus over and over. He heard from John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He heard some of the best preaching in 400 years, words no one had heard for that long. And we know Jesus is a shepherd who will go leave the 99 who are safe and go get the one, right? But we also know from this, there comes a time when he has no answer. He will not answer. Listen today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Every time you hear the gospel and walk away, you bring judgment, a hardening judgment upon your heart. And you may put yourself in the position of Herod or right here. No guarantees you'll have another chance after this morning to hear the gospel. I know that sounds, well, never mind. That's the way anyway. If you're with Herod this morning saying, who is this Jesus? You're with the majority of the people. Maybe not the majority of the people here, but the majority of the people in the world. Who is this Jesus? You say, I don't know. I like what I've heard. I have questions. I'll ask later. Maybe that's where you are. Is it wise to put off such urgent matters? Herod wanted to see Jesus, but never found the time. Once he was with Jesus, he discovered Jesus had no answer. Jesus says, if you'll come to me, I won't refuse you. You say, well, wait a minute, what about this? Herod didn't come to Jesus. Jesus was sent to Herod. And he gave him no answer as he asked question after question after question. Why delay? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. We do know that is true. We're going to come to the Lord's table shortly. And here's what I would say about the Lord's Supper. If you're asking the question, who is Jesus? This is a, an ordinance 
that the Lord has left for his people. If you're not a Christian, what I hope you will do is pay attention. And we'll explain a bit about what this is about and you'll get a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. And if you are a Christian and we're about to partake, you want to be uh, partake worthily. Don't partake if you're not a Christian. Don't partake if you're a Christian holding on to sin that you refuse to turn from. It's dangerous. It's drinking and eating judgment upon yourself. So I'm going to pray. We're going to confess any sin we need to. We'll sing the communion hymn, and then we'll partake. Let's pray. Our Father, we, as your people, come and we thank you for the conscience you give us and the Spirit who works within us to reveal to us our sins, our shortcomings, our failures. Lord, you know what they are, and most of the time we do too. So we come to you and confess. You say our sin is awful. We say the same thing. But we thank you that the blood of Jesus covers our sin. that you remove them from us as far as the east is from the west when we are in Christ. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus, who makes possible a right relationship with you. For those who are sinners. Through repentance and faith, you restore us to a right relationship. And then as we go day by day, we're able to confess our sins and you are faithful. Father, I pray for those who are not Christians as they observe, teach them, show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. I pray you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.